did a lot of did a lot of research into that, but it has nothing to do with comic book movies. Uh, Spider-Man's Tangled Web. That's good. Flash right now. Um, What's happening? Are you going to fry now? Well, you haven't started, right? No, I guess we'll postpone. Is it going to die down? Can we wait three yeah, minutes? That's totally fine. That's, totally that's, that's fine. <laughs> Still, though, timing. Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program, faster than an airplane, more powerful than a locomotive, impervious to bullets. Hello and welcome to The Thought Bubble, a podcast about comics and comics-adjacent culture. I'm Joanna Robinson. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. If you're just joining us for the first time, we're here to answer your questions about all things comics. Dave here is our so-called expert, and I'm your friendly neighborhood novice. But this podcast is meant for comics lovers of all levels. If Dave wants to go in-depth or spoilery about a particular answer, he'll do so in our advanced section that comes at the end of each episode with ample warning. So don't worry. If you have a question for us, please shoot us an email at bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. You can find all of our old episodes at fightinginthewarroom.com slash comics. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. It's Tuesday, March 3rd, and this is issue number 15. We are living in a post-Jared Leto haircut world. Dave, how are you feeling? Like it took me 29 seconds to get to Mars. <laughs> um... There you go. That was that wasn't I'm glad rehearsed he, at all. <laughs> I'm glad he's out there uh, repping my body type, though. And you know, it's really hard when you're a lanky dude to get the the close cropped hair because you look like a tiny boy man. <laughs> but you know, with some makeup and some coloring, he'll look like the Joker. Um, he well, I mean, if Jared Leto looks like a tiny boy man, he looks like Jordan Catalano, which is never a bad thing for. There's no look that Jared Leto has done that I haven't done. Oh. Uh, right down to the cross-dressing, uh, which I'm excellent at Are you if saying... I shave my, my facial hair. <laughs> Are you saying you lean really well on lockers? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I do. I do all these things. Uh, it's the body type. It, com- it comes along with it. It's like typecasting, but oh. life casting. <laughs> you're like, uh, everywhere I go, I'm just leaning. It's just my body. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so we are going to hop away from your body type and towards some comic book news. And towards the Hulk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all the opposite um, before we get into your guys' questions this week. Uh, yeah, so the first thing is the Age of Ultron uh, teaser to the final trailer, which is so annoying. But anyway, the, the, the look we got from the teaser to the final trailer confirms... The Black Widow Hulk thing that we talked about la- just last week. Yeah, um, good timing. Yeah, so it's fun to be right again. Um, it's just we big. have a pretty good record. It's just but the thing is, is that right, like we and me being here. <laughs> well, both of us speculate so wildly about so many things. We're going to end up being right about a lot of things, that's but true. That's true. that the and because it's such informed speculation. But it was fun today because um, you know there was a post over on my old home site, Pajiba. Uh, about it and I got to be all Dave in the comments and be like it's gonna be great because they won't be able to have sex and there'll be all this tension uh so you know Dave makes us all look smarter you know one podcast at a time well and more importantly you'll be able to fully embrace the deep character relationship that you're gonna see for a brief period of time because there's a lot to fit into this oh, yeah, two I'm hour sure, 40 minute movie I'm sure the Natasha Bruce story is 
but a blip on the whole whole radar. But um, we will see more of that trailer on Thursday. Is that right? In front of American Crime or in the middle of American Crime? I don't we all watch American Crime series premiere? <laughs> That's what we were doing anyway. We so good, now. good. Sorry, Agents of Shield. Like, screw you, our sister show. We will uh, we'll premiere at uh, American Crime. So, stay tuned. <laughs> ABC is like, okay, guys, we've done enough for you. Help us out. Yeah, or maybe wait like I don't know five minutes and it'll be online. I'm just saying. Or I'm they saying. just recognize that Tuesday is not the day to put anything you want somebody to watch these days. Well, I mean, there's just too much good stuff. That's the great, great problem to have. But the latter week needs some Avengers trailers to spice it up. Um, That's a different podcast that you also do called The Station Agents. I do that podcast. Yes. Tuesday is a nightmare town. Tuesday and Sundays. Forget it. Uh, speaking of early in the week, one of our faithful listeners, listeners to all of our podcasts, um, the, the wonderful Pat has been a staunch defender of Gotham. He's like the one person I know who will defend that show. And he sent me maybe my favorite tweet ever, which actually relates to the Station Agents television podcast that I do. And he says, he he wrote to us on Twitter, you guys know I support Gotham, but this week's had an action sequence down there with Harrison Morgan treadmilling. That's a Dexter reference, and that's a Station Agents reference, because we talk about that all the time as like the worst moment of television ever is Dexter's son falling off the treadmill. If you haven't seen this scene, please do yourself a solid and Google it. There's a post on Uproxx where you can just watch the gif go over and over of this young boy falling on a treadmill and then it's like a full grown-ass man falling down with a wig on and it's so good. Anyway, I didn't obviously didn't see the scene. I asked for more detail from Pat, but he is busy being a family man. But otherwise, I would read the entire... Uh, (laughs) otherwise we'd just be watching that gift silently for the whole podcast yeah maybe but uh, you know so if you if you watched gotham this week and and you saw a terrible action sequence you can write in and tell us about it but i'm i'm curious not curious enough to watch it but i'm curious Uh, i don't know when our i don't know when our off season is because like usually if you're doing podcasts that are covering something there's at least like an off season be it movies or tv but we've unfortunately chosen a time where it's like the summer is going to be our comic-con lead up slash our superhero movies so it's like at some point when i catch up with gotham i'm going to be so invested in this conversation no rest for the wicked and the comic book podcasters uh there was enormous potential spider-man news i say potential but i guess i don't really need to i believe latino review not just because dave gonzalez uh is a writer uh oftentimes for latino review but just they have a really great track record especially when it comes to marvel they posted a story about drew goddard being the writer and director of spectacular spider-man the new spider-man movie and iron man making an appearance in the spectacular spider-man and Spider-Man being even younger than we originally thought, a baby. Uh, Dave, what are your thoughts on all this All this news? Um, uh, it was, parts of it were a large surprise to me. Uh, the Iron Man, Spider-Man thing is definitely like something that's on the table, but like if we just announced a writer and director and his representation says this meeting hasn't happened yet, um, then I like that's just an idea they have. They're like, let's bring in an Avenger to a Spider-Man movie. So I wouldn't like be 
you know, Robert Downey Jr. is a master negotiator in regarding Tony Stark. So, uh, you know, if they don't have as much money to back up to his house this time, or they don't write a good Spider-Man, which I can't believe is the case because Drew Goddard is the perfect choice for this, uh, then, you know, that might flutter a little bit. Uh, Spectacular, I like a lot. Um, I hope that is in some way referencing that they're going to uh, up date the origins of the villains like the cartoon spectacular spider-man did but like i said with this movie basically only existing as an idea all those things are sort of out there what i have uh like sort of devised from this younger spider-man thing is that i really think they want to grow somebody like the Dil- if dylan o'brien and logan lerman are too old then uh, they're looking for somebody they could lock down for 10 years and like he's the star he they want a harry potter him basically yeah, they want a daniel radcliffe right so you find like an actual 14 or 15 year old and you like ruin his real life by making him famous <laughs> and you might get a daniel radcliffe or an emma watson or you might get a rupert grint you don't know you just yeah. don't know well, you roll the dice yeah. and you make him a character that's masked for 90% of his movie and you just <laughs> you just go for it i mean uh but like other than that, Drew Goddard was, would be somebody I would just guess by the fact that he, he was with Marvel on Daredevil, uh, got a better offer and passed off to Stephen Tonight, uh, showrunner for Daredevil. But Marvel obviously likes him because he was obviously around Joss Whedon uh, when the same time Avengers was hitting, uh, doing press for uh, Cabin, Cabin in, in the, the Woods. Woods. Yeah. So I'm sure if Whedon was influencing the upcoming Phase 2 as much as we think he was, that, you know, Drew Goddard was around and Kevin Feige probably knows him and likes him. And then obviously Sony likes him because they've been working with him on Sinister Six. And you know, everything that we've been hearing is that Sinister Six is going, Sinister Six is going. Oh, yeah, Marvel has Spider-Man back. But we're still doing Sinister Six probably just because, like, that's how much they like him and that's how much they like the work that's coming out from him. So a perfect decision. I think he totally gets it. And I think that Drew Goddard... Uh, wants to do a Spider-Man movie and that's I think better than picking somebody really talented and giving him Spider-Man yeah I, honestly I well that kind of made it sound like you don't think Drew Goddard is talented but I know you do <gasps> oh yeah no I'm talking about like Mark Webb who did 500 Days of Summer and right. showed a talent and like was like given Spider-Man to like make a hit and I think rose the occasion the best that he could uh, but it's like it, his ultimate goal wasn't to make a Spider-Man movie. I think one of the, like the guy who like was on Alias and Lost probably really loved Spider-Man. It makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. To, to have that passion to go with the talent, uh, passion for the specific subject matter. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, knowing nothing about anything as I do, it feels like this is Drew Goddard's job to lose. Like, or they, fuck up and they don't give him a good enough deal is the only way I see this not going right and why would they but you know I feel like unless he decides he doesn't want to do it uh this will happen the reason it's so hard to accurately report this is just because the spider-man deals unprecedented I don't even know what sort of things are on the table or off the table. Like if Drew Goddard signs some sort of contract with Sony, there's very specific wordage on how he can get out of that. And so now if there's no Sinister Six movie, it would really depend on very specific legal things that we'll have no way of knowing until this is all over as to what's actually on the table. 
but yeah, I think it's Drew Goddard's job to lose. Uh, definitely, there's no, like Cabin in the Woods did well enough, and everything he's written, the Cloverfield did well enough that um, you know he has as legitimate a cinematic shot as Joss Whedon did when he picked up the Avengers to be a blockbuster filmmaker. I love Drew Goddard. I'm on board. Um, all right, this next bit of news uh, we got ki- we got an email sort of about it from a listener called Jeff, but uh, this is about Al Pacino and his the potentiality of his of him joining the Marvel universe. Dave, you want to hit me with this information? Um, well, a while ago we knew that Al Pacino met with Marvel. Um, was that a Latino review scoop? I don't know. We'll just say it is because why, why not? not? Uh, um, and uh, we didn't really know what was going on at the time. It was around the Benedict Cumberbatch uh, as Doctor Strange thing was going on. So we thought maybe he was gearing up for Doctor Strange, like an ancient one. I think we talked about it maybe on the podcast when it happened. Uh, but a reader emailed in and brought up that Al Pacino would be great for Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which I also agree with, which links to some news this week that James Gunn tweeted that he is including in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 his favorite comic book character, which because it's James Gunn, he's given multiple interviews on the subject. He's actually uh, talked about who those those people are. So um, we're looking at Starhawk, who was an alien and an original members of the Guardian Galaxy, Beta Ray Bill and Adam War- Warlock. Beta Ray Bill is like the horse-faced Thor and is probably worthy of a whole discussion about him later on. But it's uh, interesting because if you mesh that with like an Al Pacino and assume that Al Pacino is going to get a really meaty role and then also assume that that is Star-Lord's father, you're assuming a lot of things. But I, I still think, uh, you know, uh, Al Pacino, Adam Warlock could be as weird as a Benicio del Toro collector. All right. So, uh, do you think it's a spoiler then? Like, if if Al Pacino gets cast in Guardians of the Galaxy two, like, do we just automatically assume that he's Star Lord's father? Mm, no. Because we don't know like what the villain deal sort of is. It could be a lot like The Collector, where it's just like you put an actor in to chew the scenery, and Al Pacino would be great at that. Sure. Or it could be a full villain, or it could be a father thing. Uh, I just think that you know Al Pacino would be great at playing the asshole we heard described in the first Guardians of the Galaxy. Sure. Uh, all right, and then our last uh, bit of news is also about a, a great actor in a villain role, and this is this is just my private, personal bitching, which is about Vincent D'Onofrio playing Q-ball. playing Kingpin. Uh, I hate whatever it is they thought they were doing with like slowly revealing his character, because it's just Vincent D'Onofrio's face, and it makes me so mad that he, like he didn't turn around for so long, and then they made this big press release of like they finally reveal Vincent D'Onofrio's kingpin. And I'm like, cool, looks like what the back of his head looked like, only the front of his head and his face, which we all know what that looks like. So, uh, sorry, it, that's a stupid thing to complain about. That's the, Well, let me, tell you why it's not a, okay. let me tell you why it's not a stupid thing. Because they, if they expect us to get excited about this and we've only seen Daredevil in that goddamn black costume, the then red, there's like the three... Fr- Pirate Roberts costume. Yeah, there's like three frames of red-suited Daredevil in this, right? Like we're going to watch all these hours of, uh, you know, 
learning how to be Daredevil and then get like three frames of actual Daredevil we recognize. If that's how, if they're treating the Kingpin this big of a build and it's supposed to be a series that's like half about him, like there's, we're just not going to get to the red suit in time, which, you know, won't bother me if the character work is good, but does bother me the same. It bothers me that Hugh Jackman never wears a mask as Wolverine. Oh, <laughs> that mask looks so stupid. That would look so stupid, though. It would look so stupid. They filmed an alternate scene where he got it at the end of the Wolverine. Uh-huh. That, and it was very well designed. Uh-huh. And just, I mean, and they had a whole movie where they had a future Wolverine that could have been masked. And we would have known it was Hugh Jackman. He was the lead of the movie. And it would have also helped with the aging up. But, they just didn't. Just okay. didn't do it. Did he have? Does I, I'm gonna like I'm googling right now to see if I can find it on the web. But like, did it have a uh, like the wings on it? Mm-hmm. Oh uh, no, you can't have that on a movie. No, no way. It looks good. I saw. I found it. Don't worry. Um. Yeah, if he was like on the plane at the end and he opened that up, but like that's how the movie was supposed to end. Before they're like, let's tie it into Days of Future Past, as he was supposed to get his mask finally. Anyway, but like, you know, those are little things that bother me and it'll only bother me with Daredevil if the series is bad. But that does mean that like your worry can be a legitimate worry because stuff we're supposed to care about. I just you know, on what planet, what PR planet where they're like, I know we'll make a big thing about Vincent D'Onofrio's face as if nobody knows what that looks like, like. I, yeah, it shows a certain tone deafness that I really hope is not echoed in the execution of the series. All right. Me too. All right. So <laughs> moving along, uh, this we're going to start actually not with a question but with a quote. Uh, but it happens to be from my favorite book ever. And Dave actually has an anecdote about this book too. It's not eh. a comic book. <laughs> you don't have to tell your anecdote. You okay. Are, you already told me. You can if you want to. If the let's, let's leave it to be a mystery. Okay. Uh, all right. So this comes from George and it's in a reaction to what Dave said about uh, trying to go to the comic book shop, his local comic book shop, and finding it closed. Um, and yeah, so this is from Good Omens, and it goes as follows: Follows Aziraphale collected books. If he were totally honest with himself, he would have he would have to have admitted that his bookshop was simply somewhere to store them. He was not unusual in this. In order to maintain his cover as a typical. A secondhand bookseller, he used every means short of actual physical violence to prevent customers from making a purchase. Unpleasant, damp smells, glowering looks, erratic opening hours. He was incredibly good at it. So that's now do it as now do as Michael Caine. It's <laughs> all so collected books. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Um, I'm so glad you did that, not me. Um, so that's from, yeah, like I said, Good Omens is my favorite book ever. Or if you've ever seen the, the TV show Black Books, that's basically what Black Books is about, which is about a bookshop owner who hates customers uh, but loves books. So, uh, and I've worked as a bookseller. Every bookseller I've ever worked with loves Black Books. It's one of the best series ever. So <laughs> that's enough of a non-comic book little segment. Wait, 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 wait. Isn't okay. Notting Hill about somebody who hates books and loves customers? Uh, well, you can love your customers, but you shouldn't love your customers. Um, doesn't he love his travel books? He loves his books, doesn't he? Doesn't uh, he love his books? I don't think back on Notting Hill and think, like, there was a good thing about a guy who loved travel books because he goes nowhere. Well, I mean, who really loves travel books? Like, who runs a bookstore <laughs> about travel books? Come on. I'm sure we're insulting somebody, but right. no one. I hope, I hope not. All right. 
This next question also comes, it comes from the same listener, George, and he wrote in and he said, uh, any updates on a Powers movie or TV show? In my humble opinion, the Who Killed Retro Girls story is perfect for the screen. Um, Dave, should I admit my like embarrassing Powers experience that happened before this podcast started? <laughs> if, if you want. It definitely goes to show how brightly colored this series is. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't you drop the news first? All right, guys. Uh, Powers is premiering on the PlayStation Network March 10th. And I think... They're going to start with Who Killed Retro Girl. The preview is like way out there from stuff all over the season. But yes, Brian Michael Bendis succeeded in getting powers on a TV-like platform. But so is Community, so maybe it's real. I don't know. Uh, It looks really... I'm a big fan of the comics. Uh, They're noir style. They're... Um, and it's the way they treat the uh, universe where people have powers, it's sort of like the street level. And, um, you know, Bendis's style of talking heads and little boxes um, all really work for it. Uh, this looks super something else. And it looks like Shalto Copley, who plays Christian, is chewing the scenery. And, you know, maybe it's going to work or maybe it'll go Gotham. Joanna? Uh, he'll have some competition because his co-stars Eddie Izzard, who uh, never met scenery that he didn't chew. I love Eddie Izzard. But, True. Uh, and also Michelle Forbes, who's a great, um, great actress. I actually hadn't heard anything about the Power series. I, we've had some people mention it in questions, and I just had never bothered to do research. Somehow missed all of the trade news about it. And so when someone wrote in with a solid question about it this week, I looked at the trailer and I, I could not tell looking from the trailer whether or not this was an animated like a CG series <laughs> or a real series. And Dave laughed at me, but then also made me feel a little better because uh, he mentioned how sort of hyper-colored the series is. Like it's just, it's got a very stylistic uh, look to it, more so than I, I would say any other live action comic book movie that I've seen or TV show. Um, so we shall see what happens. I don't have the PlayStation Network, so I won't be watching it, but, you know, do you let me know? I know that they've done, like, some Halo movies, right, on the PlayStation Network. Is that right? I, this isn't the first live-action thing on, on the PlayStation Network, but it's still... This is certainly the first one I care about. Sure. And, you know, like all things that are too good for the network they get locked into, I'll find a way to see it, but it, unfortunately, I don't think Sony's going to get any money. I, I, Oops. I hear what you're saying. Uh, <laughs> so we'll see what happens there. Or I could just not see it, and it could die a death because it didn't get picked up by FX. That's the other option, guys. Give me, like, what are you doing locking content I want on a PlayStation? What if I'm an X-Bone guy? Do we still call it X-Bone? Okay, no. I don't play video games. <laughs> I think you just showed your age right there. Maybe. I don't know. All right, so this next question comes from Billy from Calgary. And he says, when I got into comics, I discovered that I'll read any comic book that has a Spider-Man on the cover. So I was wondering, who are your favorite guest starring characters in comics and why? For me, Spider-Man is one of my favorite characters in fiction, period. And I don't think there is a writer that Marvel isn't itching at Marvel that isn't itching to write a Spider-Man story and doesn't have a good Spider-Man up their sleeve. Dave, what's your answer? Spider-Man. Uh, <laughs> surprise, surprise. Yeah, there was, uh, I mean, the, the the reason this happens is because if you want a book to sell, you put a popular character and you like, team on up. But uh, Billy, 
Yes, I think every Marvel writer does have a Spider-Man story in them. I would uh, recommend a book that was short-lived but was awesome. It was called uh, Spider-Man's Tangled Web, and it would switch out creative teams to sort of give them their shot at their Spider-Man story. The standout story for this is Flowers for Rhino. It's in issues five and six. Uh, those are worth owning, I think, uh, just in terms of the little side stories in the Spider-Man universe and, you know, redeeming from Paul Giamatti what we have lost. <laughs> uh, otherwise, Marvel-wise, because, you know, that's the way to go. And DC characters are like, all the good ones are parts of teams, and it's just like Superman shows up anywhere, which I'm fine with, but, you know, I'm obviously a Marvel person. I'm, a, I'm good for any Deadpool crossover, uh, especially recently, uh, as the character is embraced his crazy humor-based side as opposed to his super hyper-violent assassin side. There's, there's ways for both to work, but right now Daredevil's uh, uh, Deadpool is uh, working really well. And then also Wolverine, uh, he's great whenever he's somewhere not with the X-Men, I think, uh, just because he's a gruff character. But the best ones are when those ca- crossover characters meet, like Wolverine Spider-Man or Wolverine Deadpool, Deadpool Spider-Man. Daredevil, Wolverine, Daredevil, Wolverine, and Spider-Man. Oh, when that happens, that's awesome. Um, but if you're talking about characters like across all comics, I would say any comic that has Nikola Tesla in it um, <laughs> is uh, worth a read. Uh, um, there's Atomic Robo, which tells the story of a sentient robot Nikola Tesla makes to sort of like fight science-based crime. And then there's the Five Fists of Science, where Tesla and Edison sort of have a very... Uh, steampunky showdown i don't i don't want to spoil a lot of it it's a graphic novel not an ongoing series like atomic robo so yeah just pick it up because anything that has tesla in it is worth a look um i don't have nearly as good of an answer because as usual i am i am limited by my own limited experience but i did want to share my favorite crossover that i've experienced or guest star that i've experienced which is constantine um at the beginning of the comic book that I can't remember right now, the graphic novel that I've read by Neil Gaiman. Oh my God. Sandman. Sandman. Cut this out of this podcast. No, you won't. I know. Well, I mean, Sandman is great uh, because Sandman is like uh, Watchmen in the sense that the more you dig into the side characters, the more they reveal their comic book history. Um, So like Lucifer. Lucifer and Constantine uh show up right at the beginning and, I don't know, a swamp thing involved? I don't know. Anyway, um, all I'll say is that that particular, I don't know, cameo or whatever you want to call it, um, it just blended so well uh, with the story that it just didn't feel um, at all. I don't know. It just, I really loved how that knit together. I've mentioned before on here, Spider-Man like cropping up in Captain Marvel and how that was just sort of like, what? And interesting and exciting, but also just didn't feel 100% organic whereas as this did so i don't know what do you think about that yeah i mean uh, sandman is a great example of that i uh i'm hard pressed to think of a better one i'm trying to do it oh yeah no i think sandman's probably the best in terms of uh not reinventing characters for your story purpose, but actually finding good places for them to cross over because they should. Um, I mean, we're going to eventually see this done in movies really well. It might be Civil War, like a reason for people to cross over. 
like if if it really is the conclusion of the Iron Man and the Captain America arcs at the same time, that might be the first movie that is worth its medal of crossoverness. Mm, okay. Unless you think it's the Avengers, have we already hit the top? Uh, no. We're, yeah, I want to see two conclusions. I want to see two con- like five movie <laughs> conclusions in one movie. All right, this next question comes from Jeff, and this is his uh, legit question that I am, he, you know, Jeff is awesome and put like nine questions in one email, so this is, this is the one I chose, which is, uh, if no superhero had ever been adapted to film ever up to this point, who would you want to see adapted? The idea being a Batman, Spider-Man film would be fresh, new, and never done before. Dave, what's your uh, cheat answer that you have here? <laughs> yeah, because you didn't say comic book hero. Yeah. He said superhero. You consider this person a superhero? I mean, it, uh, yeah. It, otherwise, you have to take Batman away. Okay. Because I'm going to say Zorro. The original Batman. The original Batman. Yeah. I made an argument on Twitter the other day, and I feel it was... So it's like uh, Dupin from the Rumorg Mysteries, Zorro, and the Shadow added together make Batman. They're all like uh, rich, rich dudes that suffer some sort of misfortune that turn them to a life of crime that's based on uh, instilling fear into people. Crime vigilantism, or no, or some cases crime. Sort of, sort of vigilantism. I mean, the Rue Morgue thing is like a little bit hard, but it's like that's pre Sherlock Holmes. So if you want to talk about detective that isn't a detective that's motivated to detect, you got to go back to Edgar Allan Poe. Says Dave. Okay. Also, America. <laughs> America, fuck yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Zorro. Zorro, all right. Um, and is there anyone now, right now that you can think of that you would have play Zorro? That I would have play Zorro? Who would you cast as Zorro, given that Antonio Maderas is no longer of age? Mm, I don't know. That's tough. You want to cast somebody of like Latin descent, but then you also want somebody that's going to be an awesome Zorro for forever. So I'm gonna I'm gonna actually not not answer that question. Okay. I don't have a good answer. That's why. Okay. I don't want to embarrass myself. Okay. Well, thank you. You helped me like recover beautifully from that Sandman thing. So I don't feel like you should uh, feel embarrassed by anything after that. It's, I'm usually um, up for being embarrassed, just not about racism. It's oh. a little, you know it's a thing. Um. I okay, so I would pick. My reasoning is a little different, but I would pick. And okay, anyway, I'll just say it and then I'll explain. Uh, I would say Rogue from the X Men, um, and I know Ooh. that X Men are usually it's it's a group. You think of a group film, uh, and you know, yeah, Wolverine had his own movie or whatever. But um, I I would want a Rogue movie, and she can have some friends along for the ride if she wants. Um, but. She was one of my favorite characters, um, and I ju- no offense to Anna Paquin, I just feel like she was done wrong, so wrong, and I would love to see her done correctly, um, not as a girl, as a woman, um, and so that would be my answer, mostly because I just, you know, I, I know the prompt is like, hey, this the, the slate is already wiped clean, but what I'm saying is I'm still so tense about it being done wrong that I would like to see it done correctly. So. What are the, the like high notes of Rogue that needs to be hit in a movie that you think would portray Rogue correctly? 
I just don't feel like her strength, like her, like Anna Paquin's portrayal or the way that character is written was all about her vulnerabilities. And, you know, and as much as Ian McKellen sort of monologues about, you know, how she's one of the most powerful mutants of them all, I just don't feel like you get the really good sense of her power. And I just, I always just thought Rogue was, I think her power is so cool. And I don't feel like it was used enough in a strength way. It was more about her angst as a teenager, which is, you know, it was a teen-centric film, so it makes sense. But I would like to see Rogue, badass Rogue. And, and, and to see the power as a limiting, because, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast before, that the, that the superpower must also be the wound, right? Mm-hmm. So to lean into that for her, for certain, but also just a lot more of her in a strength position. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, it does. It's difficult with Rogue because her power is she can't be touched. So she's an isolated character. Right. Um, so you always put her like on the, or when she's used really well, you put her like on the run or you have her have some sort of crisis of conscience that isolates her. But that also means that she can be used as an isolated character. It's just a really difficult balance to portray that strength isolated. But I, because I mean, it's a role that uh, Jean Grey takes uh, when right. the X-Men are together. I was just thinking that, you know, we, we talked on Republic City Dispatch, the, the podcast that we did about Legend of Korra, how, how amazing those fights were uh, choreographed in terms of all the different elements in Legend of Korra. If you haven't seen that show and are listening to this podcast, please, you know, press pause and go watch the superhero that is Korra, like kick ass left and right. But what I would like to see from Rogue is sort of that Avatar thing where she has control of so many things in a fight. And I just don't, like, that was done, but just not done well. And I think mm-hmm. it just could be done so well. Just watch her get creative with other people's powers over and over. I think, I think that's really it. Uh, Jeremy Renner, in some of the set visit interviews from Age of Ultron uh, this week, mentioned that uh, you know, for him at this point, it's really it's the thing that makes an action sequence cool is thinking about smart fighting because he's in this superhero movie and he's the guy not with superhero powers. So everything that Hawkeye does has to be smarter than everybody else. And like that's really building on his strength. And if you could find a way to have Rogue build on that strength and put her in the middle of a fight with a lot of superhero people, she could really turn the tide and that could be an awesome climax. But this is all under the premise that none of these movies have ever been made. So (laughs) really, you got to hang your hopes on Channing Tatum's Gambit taking off because that's going to bring about a rogue faster than anything else. And you know, I mean, we've talked about this before and and we'll talk about it again probably in this next question. But, you know, the basis for my X-Men knowledge is the animated series, which is why I like Rogue so much, which is why I like Gambit so much. And comic book readers don't like Gambit and X-Men, the animated series watchers do like Gambit. Uh, which is why I am cautiously optimistic about a Channing Tatum uh, portrayal of that character. Because I, I do also love that character, but only, you know, via my animated series exposure. Oh, the animated series. Alright, so this question is from Darren, and he says, Hey guys, you talk a lot about live-action comic book television shows, but I don't recall you commenting too much on the animated shows. So I thought you might want to comment about some of your favorite animated comic book shows of the past, any that you're currently watching, and or thoughts on any future shows that are coming or properties you'd like to see made into animated programs. I'm going to cut in um, before Dave, because my answer is different than his, and... Uh, well, just mildly, which is that for me, I bow down to the superiority of Batman, the animated series. Uh, it's why the Batman universe is the one I'm most familiar with. 
uh, as far as superhero properties go. Um, the creativity in that series, the way they explored the villains, um, I just, I am endlessly in love with that, with that particular show. So, um, that would be my, my vote or X-Men, the animated series. I'm not up on, on current things though. I, though it was interesting. We didn't talk about this on air, but you know, there's a proposed Arrow spinoff, um, with the characters of Adam and Black Canary and one half of Firestorm and so Dave, Oh yeah, you're right. We didn't talk about that. Dave Somebody was, who's a DC fan is so pissed right now. No, no, but Dave was making inside jokes about it on like funny inside jokes about it on Twitter that I didn't get until I Googled. But apparently there's a Batman animated series. What is it called? Um The Brave and the Bold. The Brave and the Bold, which I had no idea existed. But well, and a, and a comic book series, right. a DC series. But I, yeah, but I didn't know the television show existed with some great voice talent, and it's a team up of some of those characters. So that was Dave's theory: was that you know they're doing like a Brave and, and the Bold. Um, oh, I will bet money that's what it's called. Really? Because isn't the Bold and the Brave like a famous soap opera? Don't you think that that just hues a little too closely? Like, don't you think they'll take plots, but maybe not the name? No, I think they, well, they've already used the name. It's the name of the first or the second part of the Flash and Arrow crossover. And it is such a long-going comic book line that it, I'm almost positive if you have a DC team-up show, you call it the Brave and the Bold. All right. So that's Dave's theory. We're straying a little too far from our original prompt. Well, you're not so going to call it Adam. Like, what does that sell you? Nothing. Well, who knows you, who Adam is? Why don't you call it The Brave? Like, I would call it The Brave versus The Brave and the Bold. The Brave well, and the Bold that... reads too much like soap opera to me. Well, but it's calling back on a pre-existing property. Several pre-existing properties no, if I'm we count the animated that. series. I'm saying DC may be more entitled to that title than the long-running soap opera, but that long-running soap opera is in the published co- public consciousness. Right? Yeah, so if you have soap opera people accidentally watching your soap opera superhero show, that sounds great to me. All right, we're going to make a side bet about this later. Um, oh, yes, I, <laughs> I will win this. Let's make the stakes high. Um, and we've also talked before about the fact that um, there's going to be an animated Arrow spinoff on the CW Seed Network. Vixen. Vixen, so there's that. But, but Dave has another uh, rather predictable answer for this uh, animated series question. Dave? I have a long answer, <laughs> but yes, the, the I think I really like the spectacular Spider-Man animated series. I think it changed enough of the mythology um, to really end up being a series about a serialized story about characters, which Spider-Man does great at. Uh, that's what he is in the comic books, and they kept it sort of like fun because it was animated. But then also, you know really changed the origin of some of these villains, but in ways that made sense, which is what I liked about like the ultimate universe of, of Marvel. So I like that. I hope that like the movie, they're taking some, some cues from that because the way they dealt with some of those villains is a lot more believable than our radiation obsessed past that all these characters come from. Um, HBO spawn was pretty sweet. If you're in for to like adult animated comic book uh, stuff, uh, Batman Gotham Knight is a DVD that was released around the Dark Knight that is a series of animated shorts in different anime styles all about Batman. There's one about some homeless kids and they're retelling their stories and encounters with Batman that is probably my favorite. Um, and yeah, 
X-Men the Animated Series is pretty good. Uh, the, mo- the most thing that I like what they did is they made kids sit down for like seven part story arcs, just like the comic book, and it made a lot of sense. Uh, they did sort of reinterpret some characters in weird ways, uh, which, you know, is fine, but like the Wolverine mask thing, the little things are going to bother me. <laughs> and then it was the 90s, so lasers. Just lasers were not violent, <laughs> and they couldn't. Cartoons couldn't be violent, so there's lots of lasers, and like you know that bothers me a little bit because X Men, <laughs> Wolverine should never use a laser. Anyway, um, all right. So this next question. Oh, Batman Beyond. Oh, okay. Batman Beyond, really good. <laughs> uh, that that's the only follow up to Batman the Animated Series that I think is worthy of using that style again. Although Justice League Unlimited is also a really good Justice League series. I'm just saying, like Batman Beyond should have should have been Batman the Animated Series and Batman Beyond in that dark uh, Art Deco square jawed style. What was um, the one that Cranston did? Oh, hasn't he done other things? Uh, that's a, I see. All I'm thinking is he did a. Uh, what is that movie with the the penguins? Madagascar. Cranston was in the last Madagascar movie I saw. <laughs> Not no, he did a Batman thing. Oh, I'm sure Cranston Batman. Uh, we could just we could just Google that, right? Yes, probably Batman Year One and Jim Gordon. Oh, oh, like the animated movies. Yeah. I think we had a question about that a while back that I didn't answer. I sometimes pick up on the animated movies, but in terms of those, like DC is the only one who's doing them seriously. Like Marvel animated movies are underwritten and underanimated, and I don't like them at all. Uh, I watched the Ultimate Spider-Man Disney XD Spider-Verse run, definitely, and that's fun. And I think we've talked about, uh, we might have been on Republic City Dispatch, but their use of Chibi I really liked. Um, which is like sort of the cute smaller Spider-Man that would uh, say things to him. But um, what is it? Teen Titans actually uses Chibi better. So that's another superhero animated series that I liked. My friend Nesto, speaking of the, the movies, my friend Nesto has been threatening me with death for years because I've yet to watch the Carrie Russell Wonder Woman uh, animated that he says is amazing. So uh, if you want to write in and, and support my friend Nesto's, uh, you know, fatwa that he's put out on me, uh, feel, t- feel free to. And maybe with enough peer pressure, I'll actually watch it. So. I would say it's a pretty sharp divide where DC animated movies are for adults and uh, the Marvel ones are much more for kids. So, yeah, if there's a voice talent you like in a DC animated movie, it's worth checking out for sure. Um, all right, so this question comes from Lawrence, who uh, signed his email um, Laws. So I don't know if that's like a British way to say Lawrence, if, if like Barry is Boz. So uh, that's awesome, if it's true. Um, anyway, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> tangent, because uh, I'm pretty sure Lawrence is British. Anyway, he says, I was wondering what characters you would recommend as, initiate, uh, as an initiation to comics for newbies. <laughs> sorry, that was my phone. Uh, <laughs> for me, it was Jenny Sparks and the late lamented authority. Strong, intelligent, British, and with a great turn of phrase. Bugger this, I want a better world. Let's exclude all Spider-Men to keep it interesting. So that was aimed at Dave. So Dave, what's your uh, d- Damn. <laughs> you want to go first, or should I, should I do it? Uh, no, my answer is the same as yours. One of them. So. Oh, have you read The Authority? No, I, but based on that description, I really want to, so... Yeah, Authority was really good. 
and I do lament its lateness. Um, but I'm going to go outside the superheroes for you, Laz. Oh, God, now I feel like I might have offended somebody. All right. I say start with, like, Calvin and Hobbes, uh, then go on to, like, Tintin or a Bone, then read Mouse by Art Spiegelman, and then you could sort of jump into your superhero comics and have, like, a really good understanding of how the art form can sort of be used. Outside of, you know, the people like Alex Ross who just do really amazing art, I think comics, uh, for the most part, is about art and storytelling in sequential form. It's a sequential art form. So uh, starting with Calvin and Hobbes is just joyous because he's a great writer and it's short form. And then his Sunday strips are beautiful. And while his, you know, everything else is black and white and works very effectively. Uh, Tintin and Bone both sort of take a, what should be a very simple st- uh, style and uh, make very complex characters and uh, plots. And then uh, Mouse is about the Holocaust and true. So Super you get to see horrible depressing. things happen yeah. to cartoon, yeah, hard cartoon characters. I love how you're like. And so I think once you want to get someone into comics, oh, give them Mouse. They'll want to kill themselves. It'll be great. I mean, uh, when I first went to the Holocaust Museum, I was probably in retrospect too young to get like the breadth of it. But I bought the two Mouse paperback edition in the gift shop on the way out, and that did more than the museum for me at that age. No, uh, that was... I'm sorry. Um, what Mouse is, of course, like a great book. And I think Art oh, yeah. work is amazing. I'm just saying, if you're like, if you're trying to get someone hooked on a medium that maybe they're resistant to, um, Mouse might be too heavy. But at the same time, it might, if someone feels like they're sort of snootily above comics, which happens sometimes, Mouse might be a good a good introduction because you're like, no, it's not all... Silly superheroes and capes, though silly superheroes and capes are great, but, you know, the comic medium can be used like this or Persepolis to tell a very moving and serious story. Sorry, I really interrupted you. Well, I... I know that's fine. I think especially now that the public consciousness would equate comics with superheroes very directly. Like, we're getting we're getting better. And, uh, you know, the comics world is getting more representative and creator-owned things are being able to take off. So the world's getting bigger, like it did sort of in, like, the advent of zines. But um, I would definitely say the best thing you could do to somebody who wants to get into comics but is wary is don't start them off with superhero stuff. Um, and that's why I like, you know, starting off with, uh, the funnies and I think Calvin Hobbes is good. I think peanuts is good, but it takes somebody who is familiar with like that really low level of humor. Uh, <laughs> Garfield is also fine for the first decade it's being written for, for this purpose. The far side? No. Far side's good. Mm, it's not sequential. Uh, far side's like punchlines. Are they like all single pan- panels? Okay. Anyway, uh, I started reading, I, I used to read the Sunday Funnies like obsessively as a kid um, and started out with my Calvin and Hobbes collections, moved on to Tintin, like exactly what Dave laid out there for you. Um, if it is the case of, of the snooty book reader who doesn't want to read comics, well, okay, well, I do want to relate uh, an anecdote, which is that uh, Brian K. Vaughn was on the Nerdist Writers panel a while ago, like a couple months ago, and I just dug back in the archives this last week and listened to it. And he got a question from an audience member who was like, you know, my wife is really into strong female characters in post-apocalyptic worlds or whatever, but 
she won't read Saga and I'm so frustrated because she would love it, but she doesn't like comic books. And Brian K. Vaughn is like, well, I find that reverse psychology is a cliche for a reason. So what you should do is leave your copies of Saga out and say, oh, this, oh, it's not for you. Sorry. Uh, it's, it's great. I love it, but you wouldn't get it. It's not for you. And uh, <laughs> get someone to read comic books that way. I really liked his answer. I mean, his whole, whole tone on that was pretty cute. But, no, that's a great answer. Um, I mean, the only reason I would say start with Calvin and Hobbes is it's a, ca- a comic because of Bill Wyerson's stance. Nobody will ever put a different idea in your head than the idea you form of Calvin and Hobbes when you're reading Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah. And I think that's really valuable because, you know, you can see a Tintin movie. You can't see a Bone movie necessarily, but like a, that's not yes. out of the cards. Yeah. But you will never see a Calvin and yeah, Hobbes movie. And so that'll always be yours. You will, you always know what Calvin sounds like, which is why there will never be an animated Calvin and Hobbes even, is because you can't cast that. Oh, Everybody so knows, and it's just yours. That's so perfect. What a perfect thing to say. Um, I have so many Calvin and Hobbes books. Like that was a very, very important strip for me growing up. Um, the other recommendation, I don't, I don't know if I've talked about this on on this particular podcast. Like I can't imagine that I haven't because I have so few. Uh, comic books to talk about but um stitches uh which is by david small it's a memoir by david small it's um it, it's told in comic book form sort of um but that's a very serious really really sort of emotionally intense story told in comic book form so you know it just starter comic if you're saying like a kid that you want to get started calvin and Hobbes and like that for sure if you're talking about the snooty resistant reader which you know I've encountered many of those in my life. Um, maybe one of these more serious books would be a good idea. Anyway, that's our sort of cheater answer, I think, a little bit. Uh, I mean, it's really easy to figure out where superhero comics to start with because you just ask them, like, what superhero movies did they not hate? Yeah, there you go. Or, like, what comic book movies did they not hate? Like, you could give anybody history of violence if they liked the movie. That's the one that was based on a comic book, right? Or Road to Perdition. But like, there's if you want to introduce somebody in the medium, I would say stray away from superheroes. All right. So our last question outside of the spoiler section is another Secret Wars uh, question. A lot of people really liked Dave's coverage last week. I can't say that I blame them at all. He did a great job. Uh, he's here to talk a little bit more about that. And then we do actually have a spoiler section uh, topic this week. Um so this comes from Sebastian from Connecticut, and he says, My question is about how much I should follow uh, Secret Wars. Uh, with what seems like dozens of spinoffs coming out alongside it, from Planet Hulk to Ultron versus Zombies to Biplanes versus Pterodactyls, I'm not sure what I should be picking up of anything outside of the main series. When it comes to event tie-ins, is it a matter of preference, or is there a rhyme and reason to it? So, Dave. Um, Dave had some other stuff he wanted to say. We're going to answer Sebastian's question, then also let Dave say what he wants to say about secret wars go for it yeah i mean i guess it's hard to answer sebastian's question because we're still at the point where this thing these things are are being revealed um like i think this week uh jonathan hickman said somewhere that battle world exists where all the storylines like last week i said you go to the website and see the storylines these newly revealed parts of battle world are being based on will have existed for a period of time for like five years or three years so they've been living in the sub event so some things are the same some things have evolved like you know the infinity gauntlet line is a world where thados had the infinity gauntlet for five years maybe 
everyone's still trying to understand uh, what's really essential about Secret Wars uh, because it's so massive. Um, I would say if you want to read the bare minimum outside the main series, that's going to be really obvious from the first book of the main series or from whatever they release on Free Comic Book Day to tie into Secret Wars, <laughs> uh, Free Comic Book Day in early May. Um, if it's anything like their Infinity tie-ins or whatnot, there'll be little stars and little boxes and being like, continued in blankety blank, blank, blank. And so you're going to be able to pick up uh, what you want to pick up. Um, that, yeah. If you want to read some more background stuff, I figured I would uh, add another layer to the Secret Wars reading list since we already have uh, Time Runs Out up to the current uh, run of Avengers and New Avengers, which we know are alternating, which we covered last week. Um, You might notice that there's another younger Reed Richards who has suddenly uh, appeared alongside Thanos and his cabal. And that is the ultimate Reed Richards, which requires, unfortunately, a lot of knowledge about the ultimate universe. So I'm going to try to catch you up really quick before posting on this episode what I would say is the ultimate lead up to where we're going to find ultimate Reed Richards when Secret Wars begins. Um, And like I said, with this going on week to week and this being released on Wednesdays, uh, means I don't know if this has been invalidated yet, but it's definitely going to further your experience going into Secret Wars one way or the other. And if you want to see how this alternate version of Reed Richards, where he becomes like a villain pretty much straight away, turns out, uh, I would say pick up with Ultimate Extinction and go through Ultimate Enemy, Ultimate Mystery, Ultimate Doom, Ultimate Fallout, Ultimate Comics, Ultimates, and all of the Cataclysm events which almost ended the entire Ultimates universe. Those will all be listed uh, in the uh, show notes for here if you want to pick them up. They're all on Marvel Unlimited. So luckily at this point, uh, actually, yeah, the Ultimates Last Stand is also on Marvel Unlimited. So you should, be, you should be fine. If you're part of a subscription service, it's free. Otherwise, beg and borrow from somebody that's invested in the Ultimate universe. Those of us that have done it since the beginning have been accumulating a lot of useless trade paperbacks. But uh, the idea that Reed Richards would become so smart that he would try to take over the world is something that's fully investigated in the Ultimate series. All right. Was that just totally confusing? No. No, it's great. Okay. You continue to hold our hands through this whole process. I appreciate it. Well, I want to keep adding, adding layers, and then it'll all happen, and then I'll start taking stuff away. But... I think we could do it a step at a time. We can do it, guys. I believe in this. Um, all right, so we're going to head into the spoiler section next, which a lot of you said you liked. Even even if you all listen to the spoiler section, you like that it exists, maybe just to hear me make this awkward transition. So uh, if you have any emails to send us, please do at bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. Otherwise, we will see you all next week. And here we go. Spoiler warning ahead. Mm-hmm. All right, so this is not a question. This is just something that Dave wants to talk about, which I have deemed too controversial for baby ears. So this is for people who, if you do not want to know how Dave thinks Arrow is going to end, which... Nobody knows at this point. Okay, yeah. I said thanks, right? Okay. Suspects, theorizes, and Dave... I was about to compliment you. Dave is very good at theorizing. 
uh, and putting pieces together based on comic book knowledge. And he's, you know, reporting what some other people have done. Anyway, point being, if you don't want to know about where Arrow is going or potentially going, uh, leave now. If you don't care, uh, or even if you don't watch Arrow and just want to hear Dave's lovely voice, uh, stay tuned because here comes Dave on how Arrow might maybe end this season. Dave. Um, the reason I want to bring this up is because I it would make us so right in our ongoing comparisons to the Batmaning of Arrow and the Supermaning of Flash. Uh, TV Line is reporting that the season finale will introduce a, quote, major, formidable, fierce new foe for Oliver Queen, and his, quote, reign of terror is something that will continue into the next season. This character is being described internally as Damien Dark, which TV Line speculates could be Damien Wayne. Oh, shit. Does that mean anything to you, Joanna? Nope. All right. Damian Wayne is the grandson of Ra's al Ghul, the son of Batman and Talia al Ghul. And you might have noticed that uh, Oliver Queen seems to be taking, uh, you know, Bruce Wayne's place with the League of Assassins and Ra's al Ghul right now. So it is super possible that we're going to see that Oliver had a son cloned from him by the League of Assassins at some point and this person would be oliver's biological son with one of the al ghouls and would run the league of assassin in place of oliver who probably wouldn't take the position at this point but like we thought arrow was going to be about the head of the league of assassins <coughs> but yeah that's a big retcon and oh, also something that's like shit. we're not doing batman <laughs> clone sons what um, all right. So you, okay. So you, do, do you think that that will make the, the, the fake out death worthwhile in the mid season? Like, is there a way that that leads to this, that, that, that this is the payoff for that? Um, or is that just still just a fuck up? I, I mean, I, that's still something that they're, they're doing a little bit of it of talking around it in the series about like the fall all i could think about was how he beat me where it's like i feel like they're trying to talk away from it and then steven amell said that one thing at the fan convention that we're still going to get the lazarus pit so i think this is like wholly unrelated in the sense of a build but is really interesting in complicating the league of shadows who are apparently, you know, sticking around and they've been good villains for a couple of seasons. So why not let them stick around if you can still use them and continuing to make it about Oliver Queen's family now that he's getting along with all of them. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Cause like a evil son that like, if he is willing to go through the hoops, so Thea doesn't kill her father who he hates. Can you imagine like having to fight your evil son? It's going to tear him apart, man. It's going to be like a King Arthur sort of... It's going to have to salmon ladder for hours to forget <laughs> all that. Um, all right. So that is that is our spoiler section tidbit about Arrow. Um, it's a crazy rumor, by the way. I think we have more to say about Felicity, but I don't think this is the time or the place. Give um, her a chance. Give her a chance, I suppose. I mean, it is true that it's kind of shitty that, that, anyway, were you the one who sent me that article about turning Felicity into a woman scorned? No, I read, I read this post somewhere. <laughs> um, I forget where. I guess I'm just going to talk about it anyway. Um, where they kind of misremember how, how Felicity was treated for the first two seasons. I mean, I agree with it 
fundamentally, which is that we all agree, you, me, and this person who wrote this article that I can't remember, um, uh, that the Felicity and, and Oliver thing have sort of thrashed that character. Um, and I agree with, with the writer who said, I think that I'm, I'm betting you the article is called something like, does Arrow have a Felicity problem or something like that? And, um, Oh, probably. Yeah. This is probably something I said to you. Yeah, I think you did. Um, but anyway, point being, it is kind of a little dubious to have her trade in one, um, salmon ladder climbing billionaire for another. Um, but that being said, they're misrem. You know, I think there's this like misremember of, Feliz- of Felicity being this like frumpy little geek tech when they were putting her in really really tight outfits right at the beginning of. Oh, we're having two. the is she wearing a collar the first season or oh, beginning of season two? Okay. Yeah, I'm just saying that like it's not like season three is the first time they put her in new clothing. This is a se- that was a season two problem. This okay, is, this so is building on a season two problem. I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna try to meet you halfway here. Okay. Your stance is I sh- I'm not pissed enough. Like I haven't been pissed for long enough no. or that, or no. that if I was okay with it in season no. two, I should no. be fine with it now. No, no, I'm just saying this has been a slow building problem, not just a season two, three problem that I think people are, are misremembering Felicity as I think they're attributing some aspect of the problem of her character to all of season three. When I'm saying it's been building since season two. And would it be accurate to say that season two just had better women around her or, or just a better story around her so that, you know, well, I, I think I'm, better female stories around her. Definitely. Maybe I hated Laurel's plot in season two. What? Better, yeah. Laurel's plot was, but we had a canary Sarah. that was good. Yeah. Yeah. Better Sarah around her. Yeah, and, and the the article also says that Felicity is, her, is at her best. Like, that's why we like Felicity on Flash so much. Because she just gets to be, like, fun and funny and interesting. And we don't have to deal with this Oliver Queen melodrama. Or we like Felicity when she's friends with the women around her. Which I also agree with. I really liked her stuff with Laurel in the recent episode. Um, but it's true that just sort of, you know, as much as I love uh, Brennan Routh as Adam um, uh, Ray... I, uh, you know, Felicity and Ray, is, it just sort of seems to be a, a band-aid to a larger problem. That they're shoehorning this character into a spot that doesn't suit her as well as adorable comic relief side character did. So, Well, yeah, and there's also not another adorable re- relief, comic relief side character, which I feel like Arrow couldn't use every once in a while. Especially with Brandon Ruth, man. He could go from, like... G whiz to like G whiz funny, like really fast. He's good at that. So funny. He could Scott Pilgrim it up, that, and why aren't you using that? That guy is so funny. Anyway, um, all right. So that turned to be more of an arrow discussion than I meant it to be, but um, maybe if we find that post, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, the Felicity article, which I agree with seventy five percent of. Um, yeah. Anything else you want to talk about? <laughs> I know. And I, I like I like every week. I feel like there's more, but I also feel like we did a really good job. Uh, good job, us. Uh, we'll talk about more next week. Um, if you have any questions or comments, thank you guys so much. We were we were a little low on questions, then I put the call out on Twitter, and then we got like 100 questions. So Yeah, it was like you, the opposite of low on yeah, questions. Yeah, <laughs> thank you guys for being so responsive. That was great. Uh, if you have any questions now, or want me to watch that Wonder Woman movie, or want to tell Dave he's wrong about something... Uh, email us, bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. 
Dave, where can people find your work on the internet? You have a new place. I am. I'm the contributing entertainment editor. It's all titles. I'm at geek.com every day, Forbes.com most of the time, uh, latinoreview.com, still doing my columns. I'm just doing everything else. I just added one more. Oh, yeah. And uh, what was it? Podcasting and fighting in the wargroom.com, republiccitydispatch.com, and Batman v Superman into the night.com. It never fails to make me laugh. I'm Joanna Robinson. You can find me most days on VanityFair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. You can listen to me podcast about television um, on the station agents, about Justified specifically on Hollerback, and go to Fighting the Worms slash comics to see all of our thought bubbles. (laughs) (laughs) There's some Game of Thrones stuff in there too. Look, everyone's got to be sick of us by end this year. Oh, Game of Thrones mercifully like hasn't really started yet, so we have time for people to still enjoy the sound of my voice. Um, Everyone's on it. a boat, though. I was really happy about that. That's great. That, yeah, there was a poster that was released of Tyrion on a boat with the dragon above him, and it just really very much validated Dave's whole "everyone's everyone you love is on a boat" theory. I Powerful. choose. I choose to believe that that poster was inspired by our tel- our T-shirt, and there's no one who can convince me otherwise. So there you go. That's right. Uh, We will see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. I was designed to save the world. People who look to the sky and see hope. I'll take that from them first. There's only one path to peace. Their extinction.